Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Oh, I am uh, uh, invigorated. Uh, oh, okay. As you should be too. We both had vacations. Well, mine we wasn't really. Working. Yeah, I was. I was working on my vacation. Yeah. But uh, for the first half, uh, and then then it became much more of a of a vacation, and it was uh, delightful. Awesome. But th- it was in... nothing but stressful uh, for the first first few days. I, I heard you did a great job at your work. I did okay, yes. Uh, I was helping... My wife is a wedding photographer, and and she was shooting a wedding in Boston, and I went along, and I was sort of the the second shooter for this, which means you kind of get the details that she can't be bothered with and that kind of thing. And uh, I tend to stress out if things... uh, As as a second shooter, where were you positioned? Grassy Knoll? I have nothing to say. <laughs> Can, Wait, you know, what here's point why. did you know what I was going to say? Oh, immediately. <laughs> uh, because here's the thing. I know you think you're oh so clever, but uh, Jen has, uh, and I as a result, like when I say, oh, Jen's shooting a wedding, someone's like, really? And I was like, ugh. Now they don't say really like no, but second shooter wasn't just a gun. No, joke. I know it was specifically a JFK yes, I know. assassination. And joke. the minute I I'm said a little more, here's when I knew you were going to say okay. something is when I said second shooter. <laughs> I was like, oh, this isn't going to go. No one's uncommented on. Um, but uh, and you know what's interesting? Um, so Jen, okay, so first lady of the United States, Michelle Obama, uh-huh. came to a uh, did a like a fundraiser thing in Pasadena uh, a few months ago in California Pasadena California uh, yes I'm sorry yes <laughs> uh, uh, okay so uh, <laughs> why must you derail me so much um, but uh, yeah so she so she uh, did a fundraiser and Jen was through a I don't know, a weird turn of events. Jen was asked to photograph it. And so she did. So if you go to aldersphotography.com, you can look at, you know, some photos of Michelle Obama that my wife was able to take that not many other people, you know, get that opportunity, which is really awesome. But here's what you find out is you can't, the short, the shorthand for photograph is shoot. Uh Uh-huh. And so normally, like when Jen writes a blog post for for any of her uh, weddings or engagement sessions or whatever, she, excuse me, she always uses the word shoot. She could not use that with this one because if you say, I shot Michelle Obama. Right. uh, It sends off, uh, you know, sends up some red flags. Yeah. You put that in an email. (laughs) Exactly. Can you say it on this podcast? I guess I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess we'll find out on Monday. But um, but yeah. So it's it, th- those jokes are some that are you know she's gotten very used to them, and I I I wouldn't go so far as say I've gotten used to them, but I've come to expect them. But uh, but yeah. I so we mine were, was yours was good. It, it, it was, was fine. Predictable if you know me. Yeah, and but I, I do. still think it was a, it was a little bit more clever than the average. Yes, because most people just latch onto the word "shoot." You at least latched onto something more specific, which I think was was uh, a little bit better. Um, okay. I still saw it coming from miles away, which because incidentally, you know John F. Kennedy did not. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so um, but no, it was a fun. It, it was it went well in spite of uh, the stress that when that was leading up to it and on the day, uh, and then afterwards, uh, Jen and I went to Marblehead. And Salem, Massachusetts, mm. home of the uh, witch trials, and I found out a fair amount about those, and it's uh, 
really fascinating. It's uh, and I've I don't think I've ever I think I've read the Crucible, but I don't think I've ever like seen any performances or any movies uh, based on it. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I've read it too. But. And I think I would like to. I think I would like to be more interested in that sort of thing. So yeah, that's so. The second half was very very relaxing, and I definitely want to go back to Marblehead. So, but how was your? Uh, oh, happy birthday, David! Ah, uh, yeah, that's twenty nine. Is that that's right? I'm twenty nine. That's right. Um, yes, but my trip, uh, yeah. birthday aside, yeah, my birthday was great, best birthday of my life. But uh, that's not the important thing. Um, it was the trip that I mm-hmm. took for my birthday to America's greatest city, probably the greatest city in the world, the Crescent City, New Orleans, Louisiana. Do you Are really you- think that best in the I, country? I've- you definitely think so. I haven't been everywhere. Okay. New Orleans, is, New Orleans is my favorite place in the world. Huh. Interesting. Now, of course, I haven't been there, so uh, so I, I have no room to judge, but uh, that level of humidity, I don't know. I think it would get to me. You lived in it, in Missouri, right? Yeah, and I wouldn't call that the best and place Chicago. I've ever. Uh, yeah, but Chicago also had, like, nice cold winters that I could lean on and be like, okay, well, this summer blows, but if I just power through, the winter will will help me out. And yeah, then I will but you're, long the, for... you're the weirdo who likes the Chicago winters. Damn right. Because, I mean, it's one thing to like the cold, mm-hmm. but, like, Chicago is a rough place to be in the winter. I know, it was wonderful. Anyway, uh, but yes, I love New Orleans with all my heart. And um, I honestly believe that the most likely way that Battleship Retention ends is because I up and moved to New Orleans. Oh. It's 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 a possibility. Are you saying that I'm going to have to move to New Orleans to keep the show going? Sure. All That'd right. be great. Oh, so humid. <laughs> it wasn't that bad this time. It was a, it was a little humid. When I was there last year, my first trip, my birthday last mm-hmm. year, uh, whew, it was bad then. Yeah. It's, no, no thank you. But uh, that's that's enough of that. Indeed, uh, we got we got announcements to get to and uh, and the topic. I yeah, hate announcements. This I know you do. I'll I'll do them. Okay, okay. it's fine. You can just sit there and drink your beer like always. So um, <laughs> I don't know what I meant by that. <laughs> um, so uh, okay, so this is going up Sunday the twenty fifth. So this is the last day that you can submit your submissions for the top hundred directors of all time mm-hmm. so for those that don't know already send to me tyler at battleship send me a list of 10 directors that you absolutely think belong on the list uh that you think are the best directors uh it's there's been a lot of submissions and it's it's going to be a very interesting list uh, you know it, there's some that's like okay well of course this person's going to be on that that person's going to be on but there have been there are some people that are there are some directors that are placing surprisingly high that frankly I, I would have I wouldn't have even hmm. suspected, and so I'm very excited for that. Um, Me so yeah, too. Midnight, let's say midnight Pacific time on the on the 25th. Oh, so by the time you hear this, it's probably too late. Oh, you think so? We'll try to put it up a little early. <laughs> okay, do what I'll you can. Try. I usually put it up at like midnight. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know that. I know, but I guess I always, uh, I always hold out hope that it'll be earlier because it used to be earlier. Let's 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 shoot for let's uh, let's uh, try for the afternoon. Okay, before I because the thing is the twenty fifth 
September, not only obviously there's a new Breaking Bad that night, of course, but it's also the season premieres of The Amazing Race and The Good Wife. That's right. And it's new Sunday time slot. Uh, so I'll have to do it before I start my night of TV, mm-hmm. as opposed to after, which is when I would usually do it. Right. So let's let's shoot for that. Oh Christ! This is the most boring episode. This is what this is what happens when I bring you in on the on the announcements. So, uh, so yes, please do that, and then uh, we will announce the the results uh, sometime in the in the coming weeks. Uh, I will skip the second announcement, and I will jump straight to the apology. Uh, what was the second announcement? Oh, I was just going to talk about the first forty again and the donation thing. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that. That's fun. Okay, uh, real quick, anybody who donates ten dollars or more, just like the one time donation thing, and I do specify the one time donation because for this for these purposes. If you sign up for a, a new subscription, it's going to be hard for me to keep track of who has done that uh, okay. and who just has has had one going. Okay, so, so one if you make time, a one-time dona- donation of ten dollars or more, you will automatically be sent a file, or is it four, four files, files? Four files containing our first forty episodes that yes. are not available, with the ex- exception of some guest episodes, right? Not available on the on the website or in iTunes or anything yeah. like that. And so, if you don't want them. Which it makes sense why you wouldn't. By the way, I've been thinking. I've been thinking back on those episodes, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what were what was I thinking? What was I doing? No, thank you. Yeah, uh, but if you if don't you, want them, email Tyler at battleshipretention.com, and he will not send them to you. Absolutely. So, so uh, I want to thank you on air here, Tyler, for handling all that. No problem, buddy. All right. All right, um, and I want to thank my wife for letting us uh, piggyback on her uh, on her Alders Photography Mailbig File account. So um, yeah, aldersphotography.com. That's right. Are you getting? Are you engaged? Are you getting married? Would you, you like great uh, wedding photography? Do you want someone to take a picture of you getting engaged? She does that, right? No, not getting engaged, but once you are engaged, but before you. But, but you isn't know. there such a thing as engagement? Like. Photo, like proposal photographs. Uh, Jen has been asked to do that once or twice. Yes, and she has done it. Um, Is she like she like hides in the bushes? Yeah, yeah, and gross. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't think she enjoys that. And everything about it sounds terrible to me. Just it sounds like a logistical uh, nightmare, David. Okay. Right. To, to the apology. Apology. So, as predicted, uh, last episode, I have offended someone uh, with, <laughs> you know, my uh, flip. Here's the thing. I do try to avoid being glib and dismissive about things that I don't understand. Um, I don't you always... dropped the ball last week. I sure did. Uh, and we even sort of teased out that I would talk more in depth about it later and we didn't we didn't do that in our in our rush to keep the episode short. Uh, so okay, last episode I was talking about MMA, mixed martial arts, uh, you know UFC, and how did uh, this come up? I don't recall. I okay. think we were talking. Well, la- the, no the topic was football movies, and I think that led to like boxing and MMA, and, and mm-hmm. I don't exactly remember how it happened. But I made a series of statements in which I ver- I would very quickly say that I thought. I thought MMA was the modern coliseum, and that uh, it's destroying the country, and that sort of thing. What, what was my reaction to all this? Uh, you chuckled, and then we moved on. Uh, <laughs> and that's the thing is, I don't. I I'm actually going to be doing like a more than one lesson mini minisode about snark because for the most part, I have lost my taste for it, okay. whether in myself or in others. Um, and in my view, snark is when someone isn't merely negative. It's fine to be negative about something. But they're negative in a dismissive way and in a very glib and fast way. Mm. Like, they don't go into detail about why they don't like something. 
it's 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 almost as, it's enough that I don't like it. Do you really need an explanation? I, I feel like you shouldn't. Just the fact that I don't like it should be enough for you. Right. And I don't like that. And and we all fall prey to it. I know I do. I did last you know last week. And so uh, so I did want to take the time to apologize to anybody for. Uh, and and somebody emailed me and I emailed him back and he was very nice about it and that was that was really great. But uh, if I offended anybody and you were else, nice because he could probably beat you up. Uh, there's no question about it. <laughs> um, and uh, and I did want to go into maybe a little bit more detail now uh, for anybody else who might uh, might have had a problem with it. Uh, so of course I was being a little hyperbolic when I said that it was destroying our country. <laughs> but um, but what I will say is that. Uh, my problem has nothing to do with the fact of mixed martial arts any more than somebody who objects to the fact of boxing. There is a definite style and technique to it, and it can take years of training to perfect. There's no question about that. That is not really my my problem. Uh, my problem has more to do with the general tone that goes with it. Uh, I've actually watched, a, a f- not a fair amount, but a little bit of, of like UFC, and I... Yeah, I'm usually in a group of people when that mm-hmm. happens. Sometimes it's people I know, sometimes it's people I don't. Uh, but no matter who it is, the tone of the group seems to change. And the way, and like real, like serious fans, not all of them, of course, but a lot of the ones that I've, that I've talked to, to hear them talk about it, uh, certain, certain ideas, uh, certain concepts come up that I'm very sensitive to as we've discussed. And one of them is this idea of masculinity and what real masculinity is and what it takes to be a real man. And when it comes to like MMA, certain avid MMA fans, it seems like the only way to be a real man is to just beat the hell out of other men. And that's, that's how you know you're the best one. But okay. And so that, that has nothing to do with MMA. That has everything to do with the fans would wrestle naked. Mm-hmm. And then homosexuality among men was far less frowned upon than it is in mm-hmm. our society. Um, I'm not sure what we're getting at, but it just seems like this. Are idea- you going? Are you about to ruin my apology? No, no. Okay. I have nothing. I have no problem with MMA, but okay. I, the, but I do have a same, similar problems as you with the these surface level ideas of masculinity mm-hmm. and machismo. I'm yeah, not sure that, I'm saying that wrong, um, but. Uh, to me, the same person who is uh, when, when, and maybe I'm creating a straw man, but I feel like I'm not, I'm not. There are people like this. The same people who cheer on MMA as this paragon of manliness, mm-hmm. and then also are homophobic, seem the- really a real lack of self awareness. Because mm. uh, there's no way to deny the homoeroticism of MMA, right? Or and and, I, and, I, and, I, and professional just, wrestling oh, and yeah. even football, I, I, yeah. sport in general is yeah, it's largely homoerotic. And I don't mean to, and and I certainly don't want to suggest that one immediately denotes the other. That if you like this, that you will I, be yeah, homophobic. I, I don't mean to bring that up just yeah. to be, uh, uh, just to point and laugh at someone's mm-hmm. contradictions, but uh, but just to highlight that. Uh, the idea of masculinity and macho-ness that we're sold is it's a what's the word it's it's a castle in the sky it, if you if you examine it at all it falls mm. apart and it's and frankly you know and this is something that I've I've talked about on this show I've talked about on my other show it's something that I I'm very sensitive to because a lot of the things that people hold up as well this is definitely what masculinity is is something is usually stuff that I don't have I can't fight anybody um, 
And so what does that mean for me? I can't build stuff. I don't know anything about cars. I don't care about sports and I can't beat anybody up. What does that mean for me? And so a lot of my problems with it have everything to do, you know, have a lot to do with me, but it also has to do with a lot of the tone and a lot of the way that people who are some of the people who are big fans of MMA talk about MMA. So that's one of my one of my problems. Another is, and this is something I've become, I don't know, I, I think I'm getting squeamish in my old age, David, as you and I have talked about. Um, I'm having more and more of a problem with violence that is completely divorced from context. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no consequences. There is no lead up. There is no but motivation in- behind it. Um, so something See, now I'm going to defend MMA. Okay. Cause in that sense, because there's, it's not out of context. It's mm-hmm. a, physical contest it's there's it's even it's maybe more in context than any other violence because well fa- yeah, it, yeah. It, there are, it is uh codified like there mm-hmm. are specific reasons why they are being violent to one another and i and and i think this this comes to you know what it is about sport you know something about sports that uh it's not that it doesn't sit right with me. It's that I can't get on board with it, not because I have an objection to it, but because it doesn't it doesn't ring true for me any more than the idea of like, you know, sports fan you know, you hear I just you know, I was in Boston. You hear about like Boston baseball fans whipping batteries at people. Yeah. And it's like that that's terrible. Yeah. And like you're doing this because they don't like your team, you stand to gain nothing for like I don't understand a certain type of sports fandom, and so like the so I was actually but that's was, not most sports fans. That's not that's exa- probably not. I don't really know, but I'm sure that's probably not even most Red Sox fans. Probably I think not. It's probably yes. most Philadelphia fans, though. <laughs> From what I've heard, good. Yes, by all means, let's as long as we're pissing off people that could beat the hell out of us. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so I, I, yes, I don't mean as I'm talking about this. I hope it is. I hope everyone understands. I'm not talking about. Everyone, I'm not trying to generalize and say that it's all sports fans, all sports fans in Boston, all MS, MMA fans. I mean that like there are some people that take everything so very seriously that I don't know. Just for some reason, it just it it bothers me to see people like per, maybe personalize and internalize something. Maybe my problem with the idea of of like two guys coming into a ring a thunderdome one could say uh-huh. and although both men leave um that uh, and just and just wailing on each other admittedly with the technique uh i think maybe my problem with it is what has more to do with what people put on it and because there is no sort of context insofar as like motivations and story which is why i tend to like sports movies way more than sports is because you sh- they show us what's going on inside the person as they go into it, um, I think uh, I think that's sort of what bothers me. Is it's sort of a blank slate? It's almost the same. Okay, I I don't think it's exactly the same, but it is notable that UFC is a big deal on Spike, which is the same uh, station that airs something that I've talked way more than anybody. Maybe the creators of the show uh-huh. have talked about, which is Deadliest Warrior, which you know talks about uh, how awesome this warrior or that warrior is and divorces it from from context even so far as to say like hey the nazi ss watch it look at this flamethrower it's awesome it's badass like they say badass and it's like yeah, it wasn't so badass when they're using it on like people not long ago <laughs> like i don't know it's it's one of those things like i don't know it seems like it like it inc- it could encourage a, a 
so it's it's not necessarily the fault of of them. It's not the fault of but MMA fighters or or something like that. You can't judge. You can't judge a thing by its fans. Ex- Let me tell you two exactly, I'm which big, is I'm a big fan of. Okay, I like the music of Tool. Okay, and I like <laughs> okay. the TV show The Wire. Okay, insufferable people love those things. That's true. Oh, they are the worst. Oh, I love the Big Lebowski. Yeah, that's that, a bad one. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, and that's that's what I wanted that may be what I wanted to specify is and that's that's sort of what I emailed uh, to this guy who's who's a little offended is I don't have anything I really don't have a problem with the art itself, you know, and with the even the competition aspect, but I do think that one part of that which is unavoidable and so that's not a big deal what people can bring to it and the fans of it and what they put the, – the stuff that they individually put on it as far as like masculinity and I don't know. It's I, – I, my my reaction to it is, is sort of – It's starting to sound like it's more your hang-up. It's – yeah. So, I mean some of it is. Um, but, I do, but I do think like uh, – I don't know. The same. It could be said about certain, mo- you know, certain movies and certain TV shows. Mm-hmm. Really, anything. Like some people, like if people ascribe like way too much to something, mm-hmm. as people, and I think when it comes to, you know, like physical, you know, proving of like physical strength and power, I think people put stuff on, you know, invest themselves in that, and uh, I don't know. I'm not. I, I wonder if maybe that's not the best thing. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, again, you you can't blame the thing for the people. You can't blame the right. thing for the fans. And that's I mean, the people, you know. And that's what I did last week, and I and I feel like I and that's why why I'm apologizing is I should have separated out mm-hmm. the two, and it is very much a different thing that I'm talking about. So anyway, the, the only reason I don't, I think the main reason I don't watch MMA is that I find it, I maybe because my my favorite sport is hockey. Mm-hmm. In hockey, they are flying at great speed up and down the ice all the time. Mm-hmm. And MMA is, for something that's so action-packed, it's actually pretty stagnant. Like, mm-hmm. um, especially, like, when they get into the grappling position, like, that's inherently uncinematic. Right. I think it's an esoteric thing. I think that's why you get the fans who are into the shows of strength, because they understand what's going on in the grappling thing, whereas to someone yeah. who is not invested in the technique at all it just looks like two guys like that are pret- pretzeled up and it's like I should separate them and let them <laughs> fight so i can see what's going on <laughs> yeah know? the uh, to hear a friend of the show mike schmidt talk about mma like he's somebody who clearly understands what it is they're doing and whenever i hear him talk about it on his show i think like okay there's something really to this it isn't yeah. just you know there's a technique to it um and so yeah i don't mean to uh to denigrate the whole thing yeah. the uh, the whole endeavor but uh, anyway, so and let me ask oh, you this: You okay. saw Warrior, yeah? Um, did uh, and it might, of course, this is this is the movie as well, and the director. Uh, the fighting in that was it well choreographed, and did yes. it give you a sense of what was happening? I, yeah, if you're asking me if I feel like I understand a little bit of the technique of MMA better for having seen Warrior, the answer is definitely yes. Okay. Uh, I have one question about MMA, and then we'll move on to the actual topic. Okay. And this is something I want to get an email on, because I don't want to do the research myself. Oh, good. <laughs> There's a thing. Not, okay. I know that you end a round by tapping out if you're, like, in... Uh, dire straits. Pain, dire straits, sure. That's called the 
tap out. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a thing like a brand, and I don't know what they do, but it's called tap out. You don't see tap out t-shirts? Oh, yes. Everywhere? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. What is that? What are they doing? In ta- like, yeah. what are they, is it an energy drink? Is it just t-shirts? Is it a brand? But also, why is it named after yeah. that? It's called, it's, there's a brand called I Give Up T-Shirts. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Forfeit baseball caps. <laughs> no, I, New white see, flag jeans. <laughs> but this, I mean, we're joking here, but I think this displays a lack of understanding on our part of Absolutely. what tapping out is. Because tapping out isn't giving up, it's going, it's going right up to your limit. Yeah. It's not about, it's... Uh, it's not the same as forfeiting, and I just wanted to make of sure. Of course, yeah. I want to say that I know that. Yeah, we're saying that mostly for humor. Yeah, but I also am interested in what tap out is, and still why it is called that. That's still, yeah. It, whether or not tap out is a shameful thing or not, it still seems like a weird <laughs> thing to build your brand around. Yeah, because it means you've lost. Yeah, whether that's shameful or not, you've lost. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, uh, so I, I do hope that, uh, I could see actually my, I could see me like offending more people in my apology yeah. than in the initial thing, but whatever, well, let's find Uh, it. I want to, uh, speaking of warrior, um, there are, there's a lot going on in that movie plot wise that has to be explained. A lot of backstory mm-hmm. of the characters and then also a lot of setting up this sort of fictional tournament that is the backdrop for the, like, uh. Mm-hmm. Pretty, well, pretty much the second half of the movie uh, is this tournament. Um, and because there's so much information to get across, there are parts of the movie where I feel like characters are no longer being characters. They're just sort of delivery mechanisms. So there'll be part where just there's like a minute of a guy watching TV and the guy on the TV is the MMA reporter and he's telling you how the tournament works because that just seemed, I guess, like the most efficient and quickest way to get that information. And the, most, the, and the most likely. Like, yeah, but it, possibly, it's, yeah. it's not compelling filmmaking. No. Uh, and, it, and the thing about it is not only is it not compelling filmmaking, when it's happening, you understand as an audience member why it's happening from a sort of utilitarian standpoint. Right. And that's going to bring us to today's topic, Mm -hmm. which is seeing the strings. Yes. Movies or situations or scenes where you can... Or even specific lines. Lines, yeah, where where you can feel the hand of the writer or director or even actor Mm -hmm. or whatever um, just... Working the gears and getting it where right. it needs to go. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into it, shall we? Okay. So uh, a recent uh, on the most recent, uh, as of uh, this recording, the most recent more than one lesson, uh, I talk about the King's Speech with my new co-host. I do have a co-host there now uh, named Josh Long. And I really enjoyed the King's Speech. I think it's very good. However... I do think that there it's not perfect. It's written very well. But there is one moment and it's a it is the key moment, maybe one of two or three key moments in the film and a huge moment in the trailer. So I'm not I'm not spoiling anything when I talk about this. Um so there's a scene where and for those that you know don't know the story, the King of England has a speech impediment, and he goes to a speech therapist played by Jeffrey Rush, who has some sort of. Un- Does he? He doesn't go to the speech therapist. He's the king, right? The speech therapist comes to him. No, he goes there. Is that right? That's something the speech therapist requires. Huh? I'll lend you the movie. 
No, I'm not going to watch it. You should watch it. It's Some, vi- someday I will it watch it. It is very, very good. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not being glib like you are about MMA all the time. Um, and, and you about me right now? <laughs> no. I just I got a lot of shit on my plate. Fair enough. Um, I, this guy, Paul Goebel, right? Man, you don't got to tell me. He wants to have us on his show. He invites us on the show. Then he springs on us. We're going to be talking about the new fall shows. So start watching. Yeah. I don't watch television. <laughs> and I watch a lot of television, which is why I don't have time to watch every damn new show. I hadn't planned on watching the premiere of Two Broke Girls. I Man, that was top of my list. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I want to see that. What I'm, I I, what see I'm the, saying is I, I will watch the King's Speech someday. Right now, I don't have time for it. I've okay. got a stack of shit i gotta, I got to watch. It is immensely watchable. Great performances. Have you ever... Uh, slight tangent. Um... Are there ever, like, I think it, mo- it happens a lot with actors. By the way, I've got no notes for this episode, so as many tangents as you want okay. will be fine with me. Uh, I think this happens with actors, especially. There's an actor whose who's brilliance you just sort of take for granted. Guy Pierce. He, you know what, he, what movie he's in? He's in The King's Speech. The King's Speech. Yeah. Uh, and then you see them in something, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're amazing. Uh-huh. Jeffrey Rush in The King's Speech is amazing to me because I, I liked him in shine i liked him in you know shakespeare in love and mm-hmm. quills i like him in pirates of the caribbean he's a he's a very de- uh mystery man he's a very <laughs> dependable actor and he's i don't think he's ever turned in a bad performance and then but he hadn't you know i hadn't seen him in anything in a while and then king speech comes along and i watched that i was like right this guy's astounding <laughs> What is wrong with me? Like I got mad at me for not for not thinking more often about how good of an actor he is, and so I don't know. Has that ever happened to you? I think there are. Um, I think maybe when someone has been uh, tied to a certain role for a long time mm-hmm. with television, or a car- like Chris Noth went from yeah. seasons of Law and Order to seasons of Sex and the City. Yeah. And so you just sort of get used to him being those characters, and then you see him in something like when he's on The Good Wife, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, right, this guy's great. Yeah. that's uh, Okay, yeah. that's a good example. And so... Uh, but so wait, you, you like Quills, right? I do, yeah. I feel like the movie has a mixed reputation, and I don't... I, I think it's I good for the most part. people. I like that movie a lot. I'm not sure if I would go so far as to say it's great, but there are great things about it. Um... I do think that they might maybe oversimplify things a little bit with Michael Caine's character. Mm. But okay. anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. So in the King's Speech, so there's a, a, a pivotal moment where Jeffrey Rush is, he's sort of wanting to draw something out. It's time for the King's like coronation, and uh, and he has to, he has to repeat a certain, you know, some things and, and he, his confidence level is is way down, and so Jeffrey Rush recognizes that the king, when he is upset, is a bit more eloquent. doesn't ha- Doesn't really have the stuttering problem, and so he tries to draw the king out and sort of get him upset about something. And so the king is trying to get out what he's saying, and Jeffrey Rush is being really dismissive. Now we sort of know what he's doing, but he's he's sort of baiting the king and mm-hmm. then he's and one thing that he says is why should I listen to you? And then the king yells out because I have a voice. And then Jeffrey Rush says very calmly, "Yes, you do." Mm-hmm. It's a nice moment as far as the actors go. They play it very well. 
um, both of them, but it is Jeffrey Rush's moment, I think, and it's really wonderful. However, in the lar- it's it's a good trailer scene, uh-huh. but in the larger film, it's the kind of thing. Nothing about the king in the film indicates that he would he would ever ever say because I have a voice. Mm-hmm. No one that we know or have known in our life would ever to that question. If someone is not li- if 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 you were saying something and I wasn't listening to you. And then I say, why should I listen to you? You would never say, because I have a voice. No, I'm not. I, but I feel like we've probably known people. It seems like a sort of theatrical, like, drama queen thing to say. It, it, it is. It, uh, maybe, <laughs> yes. Okay, so maybe some of the people, uh, admittedly, maybe some of the people we've known. But nothing about that character, it, that is sort of a, you, you know, that there is a theatricality to that. Mm-hmm. And a certain, maybe even a certain eloquence to that. And the king is not necessarily eloquent. And I don't think he thinks in those terms. And so for him to say, because I have a voice... That's not him. That's the writer creating a moment. And he creates it very well. It's a good trailer moment. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, I was... In a, in a great scene, by the way, I was pulled out of the film. Because in that moment, I saw like, okay, so the writer wanted to have a moment, and it is, and he couldn't get there without the king saying something that I don't think he would have said. Yeah. And so... That's sort of what thinking about that sort of got got to me, and it goes back to something that um, I've said on on other podcasts in reference to something I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, in college, there was, I had a professor in one of my uh, acting classes who there were certain uh, certain actors that he didn't like because the phrase he said was, "I can see the strings." Uh-huh. Uh, I can see, as you said, the mechanism behind what they're doing rather than simply see the character do something. I see the actor saying, okay, the character will now do this. Mm-hmm. And that takes you out of something. So well, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But I, right. what I wanted to say is, you know, when I was talking about warrior, I was talking about seeing the strings in terms of moving the plot forward, but right. you're talking about seeing the strings in terms of getting to the emotional note yeah. that they want to hit. And I feel like that's an even worse crime. Yeah. It, thematic, emotional. I, yeah. Cause the plot is still is, the plot, yeah. but when you're, when you're faking it to get to the emotion, then the mm-hmm. emotion might as well be fake. It's, it's you know, it's it's built on a loose foundation. Yeah, you know, uh, like um, what is it? Uh, don't you want to hear my last words? I just did. <laughs> I, I wrote that down. He- heist. Last words. Yeah. Uh, last one. And then his last word should actually be "You're welcome," because <laughs> there's no reason for me to say that other than to set you up for that right. awesome line. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah, Mamet. I wrote him down as a specific category, um, because uh, Mamet. It's okay. Here's the deal. <laughs> in high school, and maybe even in college, back when I was when I would write things. Um, <laughs> like dramatic things, and even then, I don't really write a lot of blogs these days. But uh, I oh, you got one coming up though. Oh yes, I sure do. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I for, I'm sorry, sir. Um, <laughs> the the uh, I, my my greatest strength as a writer was, I think, dialogue. I was I was pretty good with dialogue. Um, wasn't so great with plot, right? But I was like pretty a good. Young with, Kevin Smith. Are you saying that because my dad's name is Kevin Smith? <laughs> it is, isn't it? So um, I forgot about that. So yeah, I, I wasn't that great with plot. I was pretty good with character, but I was very good with dialogue. And and I did have I I did have the opinion. I sort of still do that if you have the right type of dialogue, you can sell 
almost any plot, no matter how outlandish. If you have the right dialogue with the right actor delivering it, you can sell any situation. And so, but as I, and as I got older, I decided, well, I need to make dialogue, I need to write dialogue that is maybe more down to earth and thus recognizable. In high school, I had not, I did not aspire to that. I aspired to what was catchy. And mm-hmm. what was interesting. And so I frequently, uh, I wrote a, a, a script, I think you may have read it, called The Model Citizen. Yes, it's about political corruption. And the fa- frankly, I, j- I look back and I think, like, I created a couple good characters and I wrote an entire script. Eh, that's not bad for a junior in high school, uh, even but though I would probably distance myself from every aspect of the script now. How much did you know about political corruption at the age of six? What movies told me, obviously. <laughs> what movies told you? So, I saw, Night, I saw Night Falls on Manhattan. That's right. Nobody knows about that movie, but it's, it's pretty good. You saw City Hall? I saw, oh, man. I saw that at least twice. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, that was basically it. And, um, and I tried to keep things in pretty broad strokes. Because <laughs> what other choice do I have? Um, I had seen all the King's Men. Eh, right? And so, uh, so yeah, it's... But that, that whole script was based on, like, everybody being incredibly clever. And everyone always knowing exact Everyone setting the other person up for, like, a zinger... And then that person setting up the other person for a zinger, and it just went back and forth, and all of it was for me. It was all so I could be like, be like, that's a pretty good line, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I'll save you the time. It is a good line. But I mean that—that's the kind of thing, like, because you know who else did that would be William Shakespeare. Like, whoa. So you're saying like I'm like a new Shakespeare? (laughs) What I'm saying is that when done right. That sort of heightened, mm-hmm. sustained theatricality mm-hmm. can really work. Look, at, I mean, Aaron Sorkin's best work is uh, is very much like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's and and David Mamet that he makes. I mean, Aaron Sorkin makes no excuses or doesn't try to hide. I mean, sometimes he'll, you know, if you've got like a um, a Jack Nicholson, maybe sometimes it. Well, I mean, Jack Nicholson might be the best best example. I'm trying to think of someone who did Aaron Sorkin's lines and didn't make them sound like all yeah. Sorkin-y. Uh, who should I... What's a good example? Um, uh, Robert Guillaume, I think, did pretty well with it. Sure, yeah. But uh, you know what? I, I'm going to go back to Jack Nicholson, because even though he is known for overacting, and he definitely uh, lays it on pretty thick as Colonel Jessup mm-hmm. in A Few Good Men, I still feel like Jack Nicholson's presence overpowers Aaron Sorkin's and I don't oh, yeah. necessarily feel the Sorkin in it. Well, but anyway, in the wrong hands, and I do think this is mostly a function of Nicholson and, and Rob Reiner, um, in the wrong hands, you can't handle the truth. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Could seem like set up payoff. Here mm-hmm. we go. But in their hands, it really feels like this is the only thing that anybody could say yeah. if you were in Jessup's position. And I know I want to make. I think we've we've said this plenty of times on the show. Uh, Tom Cruise gets some credit too. Absolutely. Yeah. People crap on him as an actor. He always he yeah. he always brings the goods, David. Yeah, he's uh, he's good. Yeah. You watch Mission Impossible three. You watch War of the Worlds. As unlikely as it is that his character in War of the Worlds would exist, um, right. it, it kind of go. It always goes back to like. Uh, uh, Jim Gaffigan's bit about uh, Halle Berry and Monsters Ball, which is like that poor woman. Why shouldn't? Why can't she just be a model? <laughs> <laughs> which is, um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, and so 
but he always yeah he always delivers i always buy him in in pretty much every role which is uh, strange i know that's not uh, the most popular opinion but yeah, yeah he, you know what? An- he, another writer that i think tom cruise did a good job of i don't even say masking so much as just overpowering is cameron crowe because hmm. Cameron Crowe, you can often sort of... I yeah. don't think he has as distinctive, like, an almost a tourist voice the way that an Aaron Sorkin does. Yeah. But I still feel like a lot of his stuff, you can... It's very movie-ish a lot of the times. Uh, yeah, yeah. With him, you know? Uh, and uh, so it's funny in both these examples. I'm not sure if we're leaving the topic or if we're still talking about it. But with... Um, with Jack Nicholson, with, you know, I want the truth, he can't handle the truth, they overpowered that moment, that seeing the strings moment, uh, not by undercutting it, not by making it more subtle, right. but by just, like, steering into the skid and, like, making it super big. And then another one would be um, when Jeremy Maguire quits his job. Like, yeah. that's a... On the page, that's clearly a scene that's written for a movie. Like like you said about your model citizen thing. Like, you feel Cameron Crowe being like, that's a scene right there. <laughs> oh, I wrote me a scene. Um, but it's a great scene, yeah. I think, because he sells it really well. Yeah, it's... If you'd had Jay Moore in that role, as opposed to the other one, it would have really felt that way. Yeah. Is Jay Moore one of the comedic actors your teacher didn't like? Uh, it was, and it wasn't, it wasn't comedic, by the way. Oh, okay. I, I had taken a comedy directing class, but this was uh, acting techniques for the filmmaker. Ah. Uh, no, he actually, he brought up, and I kind of agree with one of them, actually. Uh, he brought up Meryl Streep, which I don't agree with. I think uh, she... I think it depends on the role. I can see it in some things. Yeah, she, I mean, uh, I think she's so willing to go into, like, accents and stuff that I think people immediately are suspect of her. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's necessarily right. But I do but agree look that... Look at her in Adaptation, which is a movie that I actually don't care for as a whole, but she's so naturalistic in that movie. It's surprisingly so. Especially when you look at, like, Julie and Julia, which I think she's great. Doubt, which I think she's great. But she's clearly... She's doing voices. She's mm-hmm. she's a character actress, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, for her to play so... Just so naturalistic is really something. She is a very good actress. But the one that he did say was Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And Kevin Spacey... Hey... Jack Vincennes is a wonderful performance, and I love the way he plays him in L.A. Confidential. Yeah, I think there. I think basically what happened is eventually um, we caught on, like with Kevin Spacey, like he was playing roles like Jack Vincennes and uh, Verbal Kint. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even Lester the, Burnham's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, um, it's uh, pretty good in the sense of playing to his strengths. Yeah, uh, but then it became apparent that he was. Only picking roles to play to his strengths, or when he wasn't, the shipping news. Uh, what's the one with the Hilly Joe Osment in it? Pay Pass it, it on. No, pay it forward. <laughs> <laughs> Pass it on. The telephone movie. <laughs> um, yeah, in those movies, when he wasn't playing his kind of character. Mm. Now, I didn't see Superman Returns. I did. Did you? Yeah. Seems like he might be good as Lex Luthor. He is good, actually. Uh, here's here's what I think about him is that I think he's a theater actor who who n- never quite learned to never dialed it back as far as he could have for the screen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he gets a role that benefits from that. I think Jack Vincennes is one of them. Jack Vincennes is kind of an over the he's not over the top, but like he's flamboyant. He's kind of a flamboyant character. Lex Luthor, I'd say he fits, yes. Mm-hmm. And so, and Lester Burnham is a guy who is taking a great deal of joy and in, in his new 
liberation and is and is saying certain things with a great deal of flourish as Kevin Spacey does. And so I think sometimes he gets roles that fill that he does fit with very well, but the rest of the time where it's like, okay, we need you to like really play this down, like in the shipping news where the character is supposed to be just very, you know, incredibly shy and mm-hmm. awkward. Nothing, nothing about Kevin Spacey says shy and awkward to me. Right. Um, it's always a certain degree of confidence, even in something like Seven, where his character's insane. Mm-hmm. He still is very confident about what it is he is doing, and never, not a moment's doubt, really. Mm-hmm. And so he's sort of the he's the right guy for that type of role. Um, but yeah, and so he's one of the guys that my my teacher said I see I see the strings with him. Mm-hmm. I, when he gets a good line, he knows it, and he will say it like, I've got, this is a great line. Are you guys ready? And admittedly, I usually do enjoy it when he does that, but that my enjoying it is not necessarily the same as it being right for the character. Right. Um, I don't know, but that's like uh, a movie that I really enjoy. Um, I know I'm not necessarily in the uh, majority on this one, is uh, The Big Kahuna, in which... He plays a character who frequently kind of goes over the top, but because he's playing opposite Danny DeVito, who gives maybe the most nuanced performance of his career and a really wonderful one, uh, because he's playing against a very realistic performance, I think him being over the top, it's, it reads more like Kevin Spacey not knowing when to stop than a character who's just who just lets fly whenever he wants. Yeah, I think um, that's not a bad movie myself, but on the rare occasion that movie gets talked about, it's still... Uh, Peter Facinelli never gets talked about. He's very good in it. He, he's good, and he's good. And there, there's a reason he doesn't get talked about because he's specifically not paying, not like drawing attention to himself. Right. That's who his character is. Yeah, and also, I mean, his character. You know, frankly, he's his performance is very good. But the very nature of that film is that his character doesn't have a lot of character. Right. I mean, it is specifically said, mm-hmm. and so our eyes are naturally drawn to the guys who've had more experience in life as opposed to this new guy who this is one of his experiences. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a thankless role, but I think he does a very good job with it. Yeah, I um, like Peter Fetchinelli. I do too. I like when he was on, when he was on Damages. I know you didn't watch it. Right. Um, he's very funny and can't hardly wait. Yeah. He has one of my favorite lines in the movie. Which, which is, is what? Uh, so he's... Um, his girlfriend, Jennifer Love Hewitt, is embarrassed in front of the whole party. Mm-hmm. And then later he's outside and he's talking about what just happened. He's like, my girlfriend just broke. Oh, and, and after, like, everyone laughs at him and you hear somebody in the background go, fag. <laughs> and then later he's, like, outside and he's like, my girlfriend broke up with me. And then he starts to cry and he's like, some guy in there called me a fag. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my, it's one of my favorite lines of the movie. And I bet he sells that really well, yeah. that that character would be, that would be on his mind. That would be, like, the biggest thing about it. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, it's like, oh. a guy who's into MMA. <laughs> All right, David said that, not me. David said that. All right, I'm, I don't like getting hate mail. I like it when um, people email me about you. Now you, uh, we talk, we're talking about a few good men. We've talked about writers, you know, Cameron Crowe's, your Aaron Sorkin's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and actors like the people we just talked about, Kevin Spacey. We haven't really talked that much about directors that maybe show the string. And I feel like most of mine, unfortunately, are writers. Okay, well, I'm not afraid to talk about go uh, right ahead. Director. And I love. A few I'm good terrified men. to talk about it. I love a few good men, but I feel like Rob Renner has become, as he's gotten older, more of a sentimentalist. And and a lot of these sentimentalists, like humanist directors, they 
they they want to have that moment, and so sometimes you can feel like, oh, you skipped a few steps to get to that moment, <laughs> didn't you? You just wanted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I recently um, had the joy of seeing Down and Out in Beverly Hills, the Paul Mazursky film, mm-hmm. um, and Paul Mazursky before years before Down and Out in Beverly Hills had made uh, Harry and Tonto, which is a film that if you haven't seen, go run out and see it because it is great. That's a great movie. Um, and Down on Beverly Hills has a lot of the same things that make Harry and Tonto great. A lot of that same, like this humanism mm-hmm. and that the sense of humor. Uh, but then there are also some like big, you know, the uh, Richard Dreyfuss uh, and, and Bette Midler's uh, family has a pet dog and there's like maybe a few too many like cuts to the dog reacting to something. Oh like, my, really? Uh, and you see what he's going for. It, like you know, it's 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 like the Aaron, it's like the Shakespeare Aaron Sorkin thing. When it's done right, it works, mm-hmm. and it mostly works in Down and Out of the Hills. I, st- I still think it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see, I, I don't know if it's a old age sentiment thing. We've, I think I think Spielberg has maybe made some of those. You know, he's talked about how. If you made Close Encounters now, it would end differently because yeah. he's become more of a sentimentalist. But then again, he also made Munich, which is a uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it has some sentimental parts, but it's a pretty. It tends to drown those out, I think. Yeah, um, they co- they coexist with the uh, starkly realistic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've said it on the show for a while, so I want to say Munich is my favorite Spielberg film. Um, I think it's in my top three. Um. But yeah, a lot of these these uh, sort of I guess mainstream ish. I don't know. Like um, directors go for uh, they 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 cut these corners. Which are like, you know, more examples than just down and up every hills and I, I don't know. What's well, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Rob Reiner movie besides that one with Luke Wilson from a few years ago. What was that called? Uh, does it have love? No, Alex uh, and Emma. Alex and Emma. Yeah, that's a wow. bad movie. Why do I know that? Um, why did I see it? Uh, that's a good. That's a better question. But you know who else? Uh, I think a director who, even though he's made some great stuff in his later years, Tony Scott has hmm. um, lost his lost his edge in some ways. Like, because mm-hmm. um, you know he made Top Gun, and uh, and I feel like he. I mean, Top Gun was a very popular film but it wasn't hacky he invented a lot of or he co- was one of the inventors maybe along with like um uh my <laughs> trying a blank uh, adrian lane line who made flash dance mm-hmm. you know of this sort of shallow focus like using smoke or steam for uh <laughs> for texture you know um just 80s look you know yeah. um and it was cool when they did it and then it sort of became the norm, and then I feel like Tony Scott maybe just sort of like fell into like I'm gonna do the the cool moment here, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, it went from it being a sort of aesthetic statement, you know. I mean, Top Gun's a really stupid movie, but I like it a lot, yeah, um, because I think you can feel his, you can feel Tony Scott's sort of vibe vibrancy vibrantness i don't know what the word is vibrance vibrance is that one but you 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 can feel that like he's really excited about what he's making and then with with some stuff i mean he made man on fire which i think is very good but he also made domino which seems like 
I don't know. And you can say I, maybe I don't know it's what Domino the intention is. that it's supposed to be sort of like uh, post 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 modern and like yeah. super about itself and about mm. uh, uh, it's a violent movie about movie violence, I think, mm. or something. But still, it seems there's every moment is sort of played like it's the moment. But you know, we talked about okay, uh, Aaron Sorkin. If Aaron Sorkin at his best is the guy who can be good enough to make that work, mm-hmm. then as a director, I think maybe uh, Boz Lerman or Peter Jackson, when they're at their best, mm-hmm. they can make these movies where every moment is like a big moment. And in lesser hands, it would completely be stupid and be obvious. Yeah. But like, I mean, Moulin Rouge hits its climax about 15 minutes in and then just carries it emotionally throughout the entire movie. Yes. And for me... It works, and I think for a lot of people it works. And I, yeah. I mean, I think the Lord for of the me, Rings, I, I had to I had to warm up to it. My first yeah. my first instinct was like it's like you know when you hit a climax and then you rem- then it stays that way that that looks a lot like a flat line. <laughs> but but I, I warmed up to it. Yeah, I think it, it manages to get up to like a, it gets its heart rate up to an amazing rate and manages <laughs> to keep it up. Yeah, uh, for two hours. Um, and yeah, I think the Lord of the Rings movies are also also mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but you know it's it's interesting because uh, there's in Lord of the Rings there's plenty of this uh, as well and of course uh, we could have friend of the show Graham Elwood on to talk about uh, his, his his opinions of Lord of the Rings where every moment is the way he phrases it the big moment and no, I'm not maybe sure that's if, where I stole that from then <laughs> I'm not sure if I would if I would put it quite that way but uh, but there is there is one moment that uh, that sort of bothers me in it because it feels like something it feels like something certainly. Well, there's a couple moments, actually, that feel like something outside of this world and outside of these characters. Mm -hmm. It's very modern, and it feels like somebody wanted to... Okay, I'll be honest. I'll I'll say it very clearly. It feels like somebody wanted to make this a bit more appealing to women. And so (laughs) they have a moment where they have Liv Tyler say... You know, she says, like, if you want him, come and claim him. Uh You know, it's just a good line. It's a good line, and she delivers it well, but it's just like... uh, you're basically having someone say, "Come and get him," like. <laughs> but you've managed to make it all Middle Earthy in in the phrasing. But it just seemed it was a very modern. It was very, I don't know. It was a very modern. I don't uh, disagree. I love that line. I don't like the moment. I don't necessarily like the line, and I do think it's a line that they wouldn't have given another character. I think they gave it to her specifically to be like, "Women can be tough in Middle Earth too." Mm-hmm. It may not be in the book. But the book is old-fashioned. Yeah. We are not. Look. And then the other one is uh, Miranda Otto, I believe her name is. Yeah, that's the idea. Uh, when she kills the Witch King, I think. Okay. And, uh, and he's, it's been a while for me as well. And uh, and he says, like, no man can kill me. Cause oh, he yeah. thinks This one I agree with. And, and he thinks she's a man. And then she, uh, and then Mary or Pippin. Pippin, I think, uh, stabs him in the leg, and then he crumples, and then she's like, "You're forgetting one thing," or something like that. And then she takes <laughs> off her helmet and just and waves her hair like, uh, and uh, she's all that or something. And then uh, might as well take off her glasses <laughs> while she's at it, and uh, and she's like, "I am no man." Stab in the face, and just uh, and in that moment too. And again, this has nothing to do with me being upset at like, oh, they empowered women. It has nothing to do with that. It's that it feels so much like, hey, we're going to empower m- women right. Now, watch, you know, watch. Um, there's a moment in uh, it's in Two Towers that 
sticks out to me because there's a huge like I guess it's Helm's Deep. I don't know. I'm gonna Helm's Deep. That's one. Yeah. Is that is there more than one? But as like that's the like, big one. It's nighttime and they're all like coming up over the walls and all that stuff. Is that that's uh, Helm's Deep? I think. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, <laughs> we're such bad internet critics. We're just bad. We're just not geeks. That's what I mean. No, I <laughs> but I have nothing against geeks. We're just not right uh, in a lot of ways. We're nerds. Damn it. Uh, I'm a snob. That's, that's true. Um, but uh, please, the, the one that Viggo Mortensen played, Aragorn. Aragorn. Yeah. And the one that John Reese Davies played, mm, Gimli. Gimli. Okay. You know why? I, th- I, I was like Tales of the Gimli Hospital. Got it. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, they've sort of like a bunch of the bad guys are trying to break down the door, and they've sort of snuck around to their side. Yeah. But then they have to jump from where they are into the bridge, and there's a little moment where Gim- Gimli. Gimli. Yeah. That's how. Okay. Um, he like he's like you have to toss me because he can't jump that far because yeah. he's small. It's but not it's a bad like, Gimli, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, <laughs> but it's like this little, and then he's like, "Don't tell I don't know Legolas or yeah, yeah, don't tell the elf." Uh, and that little like it's like ah, people are kind of dying all around you. Like I don't think yeah. we need the comic relief here. Well, I mean, I mean, I, uh, anytime there's comic relief in a movie, like you, you need to be careful with it. Uh, in a moment like that, I think because it's between two friends, I buy it a little bit, a little okay. bit more. But at the same time, it is a very modern touch. And in moments like that, because the rest of it is so, I, I will say old fashioned, but I don't mean for that to be a, like a dig at it. I mm-hmm. think that's a, that's to its credit. Because the rest of it is so thoroughly old-fashioned that any modern moment, whether it be come and get him, I'm sorry, come and claim him, come and claim. whether it be that or I am no man, look at my hair, yeah. and, and just like, don't tell the elf, we've got this funny thing going. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah, this one thing, I mean, obviously he's a small guy, yeah. he's going to need to be tossed. If he had just said, like, toss me, and then everyone had just, like, done it without a thing, like, that would have been badass, I think, yeah. actually, just having, like... And it could have uh, been, I just did like a, my impression of, of giving me like it did not look badass by the way sorting across the the chasm with his with his axe uh, nice <laughs> but that's branded. and that's the thing is because they put a little bit of a button on it like he could have said toss me and he could have said it exactly the same way which was because yeah. he said earlier like nobody tosses a dwarf and this is a nice payoff to that right and he could have just said that but then they had to you know sort of hang a lantern and be like. like all right, we all get this, right? And that something like that is where you see the writers and the director being mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It, it does it does it in that moment? Does it almost feel like they don't trust you to uh, to remember you, the audience? Yeah, maybe 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 that's it. Um, but it also it, it undercuts the character. Like, yeah, you don't toss a dwarf, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but here is a situation where that's what needs to happen, right? In order to win, in order to be a better warrior. Yeah. So that's not something he should be ashamed of. So why would he say don't tell the elf? Right. So he's not doing anything to be. He's not doing anything wrong. He, I think he sells the line well, and I think er, uh, Viggo Mortensen's facial reaction. I think he said no. He 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 says not a word. And it's a nice moment oh, okay. between them, and they, that's their creation. That is the actor's creation. Um, I they create something out of something that shouldn't have been there. Mm. Um. But yeah, that's uh, that, that's a really great example in in good movies oh, like thanks. The King's Speech, and in you know, in movies like Lord of the Rings, which I enjoy a great deal. You will get these little moments where you're just like, ah, oh. okay, hello, Peter Jackson, I see you. <laughs> um, but uh, 
But yeah, and so I'm well, trying what, to think. What was on, on your list? We should probably be Okay. Uh, so a couple of things real quick. One, I actually did want to go back to something you were talking about, which is uh, exposition, mm-hmm. which is characters saying something that's clearly for us. Mm-hmm. One of them is, of course, Inception, which is the whole film. Uh, <laughs> you know, even, uh, even my wife, who, doesn't, you know, who, who liked Inception, uh, even she said, like, man, I'll figure it out. Uh-huh. And even if I don't, whatever. Just let it go. You know, just frequently they will stop. We've talked about Inception, but frequently they will stop and say something. And at one point, I almost expect them to go like Rick Moranis at Spaceballs and look at the camera and be like, everybody got that? <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. Which is a nice moment in Spaceballs. One yeah. of the few. Uh, Fucking Rick Moranis, right? <laughs> Damn it. <He's> awesome. <laughs> he can kind of do no wrong. I really yeah. enjoy him. What happened to him? He retired, didn't he? Did he retire? Yeah. That's unfortunate. I I think the world would be a better place if he were still making movies. I agree. Yeah. Let's get them back on board. By them, there I mean that, him There was an Onion that. article like a year ago, like 98% of movies would be better if they had Michael Keaton in them. And I think like... Yeah. Rick Moranis is probably up there too. That's true. Man, I enjoy him. Um, oh, and to be... Um, uh, uh, not not to be... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sexist. Okay. The quality of the genders. I also think Gina Davis is... Uh, uh, in that company. I like her and everything. You ever see Cutthroat Island? <laughs> no, but I don't think that's her fault. No. And Rennie Harlan no. directed that, right? Yeah, and it's not... I don't remember who wrote it. Yeah, I mean, Michael Keaton's been in a bad movie, right? Oh, yeah. But, like, I think he's always done well in them. Oh, right. It's... She's not very good in Cutthroat Island, but I don't think she's... She's not meant to say old-timey dialogue. Not that it's that old-timey. But, um... But anyway, so... I think uh, Rennie Harlan is meant to direct people talking. <laughs> it's not, not his strength. That's true. Oh, he uh, he missed out by, I'm going to say, 70 years. So, uh, <laughs> so the film... Uh, did you? I forget. Did you see Casino Royale? No. Okay. You ask that all the time. I know, but I for some reason, I feel like that's... There was a movie that I was hounding you about for a long time, and then you finally saw it, and you're like, yeah, that was really good. And I was like... And I keep thinking it was Casino Royale, but now I don't remember no, what it was. I don't know what it was. So, I'll probably see the King's Speech before I see Casino Royale. Make it a double feature. They go very well together. <laughs> uh, anyway, so in Casino Royale, there's a part where uh, where the characters are all playing um, Texas Hold'em, which uh-huh. is strange in an international, uh, you know, like tournament where it's like a hundred thousand dollars to get in <laughs> and just like we're playing and it's weird to hear like a foreigner say like they're playing texas hold'em and just like oh look i know you want to appeal to me the american but come on <laughs> so that you know what that in itself the very fact that they're doing that uh-huh. but then also throughout there's a scene where uh giancarlo giannini is he and from mimic Yes, absolutely. And uh, Hannibal, uh, one of the... I like him in Hannibal. It's unfortunate what happens to his character. Um, bad things. <laughs> so, uh, and I believe, is it... Who is the... It's unfortunate what happened to the audience in Hannibal, right? W- worse things. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're watching just like, man, at least Giancarlo Giannini was out halfway through this thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, man, now I don't remember who the, who the girl is in Casino Royale, who the Bond girl is. Shoot. Right. Here, vamp real quick. Is it, uh, is her name Olga? Oh, God, that's you vamping? Is it, oh, it's Femke Jansen, right? No. 
No. Oh, okay. It's uh, Ursula Andress. It's uh, Eva Green. Eva Green. Yeah. Okay, what do I know her from? I don't know. Okay. Is she in uh, The Dreamers? Oh, is that her? I is like it? The Dreamers. Okay. Yeah, I think that is her. Uh, so, her name? sorry everybody, I had to run over to my uh, my movie okay. wall there. The, and don't, so now we don't get emails about who Eva Green is, like we did with Olivia Wilde. Yeah, oh, indeed. We got a lot of Man, people rushed to her defense. Yeah. Um, people who like Tron Legacy, which I didn't see. Nor did I. Okay. So, uh... So Giancarlo Giannini and Eva Green are watching James Bond play Texas Hold'em, and the whole time Giancarlo Giannini is like whispering to her like the rules of Texas Hold'em, and like really? what's and what's happening. And I'm just like, Ugh, was this movie sponsored got- by the Texas Hold'em Council? <laughs> well, it's it's that kind of thing where like they just they just assume that well we won't be able to know what's going on. Unless everything's explained to us. It's like, well, no, we'll fi- I'll go back to what Jen said. I'll figure it out. Uh-huh. At the very least, I'll look at people's face and be like, okay, this must be bad. Right. Oh, this must be good. Because the poker faces actually aren't that good in the movie. But um, <laughs> You're not making a good case for this movie. Uh, d- you know what? Don't, don't listen to that. Th- that's, a, that's a picky point. If I had told you about those scenes in Lord of the Rings, would you dismiss the whole thing? Possibly, yeah. Right, but... Having I'm, per, I'm pretty having judgmental. Seen, I know you are, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. In in watching that, it's just like, okay, well, not only did you pick Texas Hold'em because I, as the as an American, will understand it more, but apparently you don't think I'll understand it, and you've got nothing better for Giancarlo Giannini to do but <laughs> sit there and explain the rules to me. Yeah, really. He might as well go back to Hannibal and get played again. Or Absolutely, whatever played and hanged. <laughs> right, and so. Uh, that's the that's the double dip, I, as <laughs> Hannibal Lecter calls it. Um, so yeah, like exposition nine. I would say nine times out of ten, yeah, I don't know. It's it's ins- it's certainly insulting, but there's also I don't know. Okay, you know the here's the way to do it. And God help me for saying this, the movie Predators. Okay. Okay. Not not Predator, directed by John McTiernan, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bill Duke. Right. <laughs> That's top two billing. <laughs> Might as well be Bill Duke. Yeah. No, and uh, Carl Weathers yeah. and Jesse the Body Ventura, Shane Black, Shane Black. Who are we missing? Who was the uh, the Native American guy who also went into politics? Sonny Landham. Sonny Landham. Landham, I think. Okay. R. G. Armstrong, or as I like to call him, Prune Face. Okay. Was in that film. All right. That's so not the movie you're talking about. That's you're talking not about Predators. I'm talking, I'm talking about Predators. Directed by N- Nimrod Antal yes. or something? Is that is that it? I don't know how you say it, but Oh, good. That's um starring that's uh, Walton Goggins He's among great. others. Adrian Brody? Adrian Brody? Uh Alice Braga? I don't remember. That's not here nor there. Let's let's stop doing this. So, uh Lawrence Fishburne is in the film, and his his character is not in it very long. Uh, he shows about halfway through, and his whole thing is exposition. His whole character is that. But the way he is written and the way he plays him, admittedly, you know, it's like I'm just getting exposition. But Lawrence Fishburne is a good enough actor not to not to crap on Gio, Giancarlo Giannini, but. Mm-hmm. He is a good enough character, and they write enough slight eccentricities to the character that you really believe you're. I don't know. The, the exposition exposition seems real. It seems like this guy's actually explaining something to people, and 
incidentally, his character hasn't talked to people in a long, long time. And you feel that. As he is saying this, the way he's saying it, and like the lines that he's given, and uh, the performance he's giving, is it, it feels real. Even though, by the end of it, when you think back, you're like, oh, that was, that was pure exposition. There's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. But, by and large, I'd say it's something to be avoided. Toe for Grace? Toe for Grace is in the film? Yes. Yeah. For a moment, it was just like, in <laughs> traffic? No, I thought it'd be funny to just wait till you get your whole thing out and then go with the next name. Um, but no, Lawrence Fishburne, it's funny you bring him up. Okay. Because this might bring us full circle if you're almost near the end here. But I'll just the, like run through some. The idea yeah. of a trailer moment. Yeah. There's a part in The Matrix that always bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the Matrix is, uh, and a lot, of, especially a lot of that trilogy is, yeah, fakey moments, you know. But I still think the first one is uh, a masterpiece. Um, I'd say that's about right. But uh, there's a part during, it's 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 Neo's initial like kung fu training session, mm-hmm. and he's like, and he's trying to teach him that when you're in the Matrix, these things, these physical uh, limitations aren't there. And he does this thing where he says, you think, he leans over, he says, you think that's air you're breathing? And then he does this little, like, hmm, like, oh, that's cute. And then walks <laughs> away, and it's like, all right, Morpheus is supposed to be kind of a self-serious blowhard, but he's not, <laughs> he's not a sadist, he's not a prick. Right. Not, like, that's clearly just for the trailer, I think. I don't know if that was in the trailer. I feel like it was. Maybe. Was, you know, they probably made a lot of trailers. For yeah. Movie. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't the trailer, because the trailer didn't give anything away about the Matrix. Mm. Well, they didn't know that when they made it. They probably made it for the trailer. Fair enough. Uh, but that moment always... Uh, I always wish I could just snip out that little like thing he does. Yeah, you kind of want to be like, why are you enjoying this? <laughs> You're being kind of a dick here. He's supposed this. to be the one who's supposed to save all yeah. of humanity. Maybe a little encouragement. Yeah. To, to go with the Christ analogy thing, he's the John the Baptist. You go back and read about John the Baptist's <laughs> encounter with Jesus. How much of a dick is he being? The answer is not much. In fact, he's quite humbled by the whole by the whole thing. Um, but uh, so okay, I wanted to come. Uh, we do, we do need to start wrapping up, so I'll just sort of uh, go down my list here. Um, I recently saw Midnight in Paris on the uh, airplane ride to Boston. This and- was a, a continental flight. You just told me American Airlines. American Airlines, that's right. All right. Um, come fly the friendly skies. That's not them. I don't know who that is. Anyway, <laughs> and it's probably old. So, uh, well, I flew Delta. Yeah. Hope you like sitting on the tarmac. That's their. Uh, <laughs> that's their thing. I like that slogan because it lets you know what's going on. Yeah. So, I came so close to missing my connecting flight on the way back mm. because of sitting on the tarmac. Sitting on the tarmac in New Orleans before we left sitting on the tarmac in atlanta before we changed planes and it was driving me i was steaming mad steaming mad i believe it direct flight from boston to los angeles six and a half hours and i'm like oh man this is this is gonna suck i had the whole road the whole road to myself because here's what jen and i did uh-huh. because we've been married long enough it's like i know what you look like it's fine uh we both want a window seat <laughs> so <laughs> so she sat in the row ahead of me so we were both in window seats, and then both of our uh, rows totally empty. How about that? It was hey, I know you're humoring me. Six and a half hours where you can stretch out, nice. Yeah, really nice. So I agree. Sh- screw yourself. So anyway, uh, Midnight in Paris, uh, a good movie. I really enjoyed it. However, 
and maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm sensitive to this sort of thing. There's no reason, no reason that Kurt Fuller, an actor I love, by the way, uh-huh. uh, always dependable. Anybody go back and watch the live action version of the tick. Uh, I believe he was in one of the episodes that did not air. He plays a character named Destroyo, who is awesome. Just a really wonderful performance. And he, he's just a good actor. Yeah. So anyway, he, uh, his character is a uh, Republican. Here's how that comes out. Uh, they just say it. Yeah. And uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Everything about that whole family. Yeah. Kate Hudson. Uh, Kate Hudson. Uh, I hated her as much as I hate Kate Hudson. That's why I... Uh, Rachel McAdams, right? You hate Rachel McAdams? No, I'm saying I hated the character. Oh, yes. I hate okay. Kate, I, yeah, I do hate Kate Hudson. Okay. Um, Aw. What? Well, it's not nice to hate someone. Oh, well, she should try being good in something. She was okay. Stop wasting my fucking time. Don't say Almost Famous. First off, I wasn't going to say she's good. I said she's all right, she's all right in Almost Famous. Uh, no. Uh, okay. She's not all right. That, <laughs> that, that, uh, that scrawny fuck who stars in it is not all right. That movie overrated I'll, I'll give you overrated but I still stand I, it's there are enough re- there's a lot of good moments I'd say it's good yeah but then solid. occasionally there are moments where it's just Patrick Fugit and Kate Hudson and it's kind of embarrassing it's kind of community the- high school theater I think I think there. Patrick Fugit does a good job but what I what I will say is in those moments I don't care I just <laughs> it's like you know this needs Philip Seymour Hoffman that's yeah. what this that's what the movie's good with Philip Seymour Hoffman Man, with uh, yeah the the band uh, Stillwater oh, yeah. like scenes with them are great Mark Maron Mark Maron Jimmy Fallon <laughs> these people are all great absolutely uh, but when it's just those two leads it is it no, is a snooze you. for me yeah um, anyway that's not Rachel McAdams and her whole family mm-hmm. I like Midnight in Paris a lot yeah but that whole family is just plot device and it's plot device overkill yeah. it's more than like it's like okay obviously you want his current situation to be i'm not spoiling midnight in paris really but you want the person he's with to be not the right person for him right but you have to make her her and her entire family so awful yeah yeah and of bother. course and, and of course awful equals republican no question about it and one thing that i tweet and again i i don't want to make it seem like i'm while I do, uh, while I have been sort of uh, veering a bit more uh, conservative these days, I don't want to make it seem like I'm offended merely because the character is Republican and, and painted in a negative way. That's not the issue. The issue for me is that, like, what I what I tweeted was like, "Midnight in Paris" is really good. However, I'm pretty sure that uh, Woody Allen hasn't actually met and talked to a Republican in probably 30 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, but every, everything about Kurt Fuller's character, and again, he sells him. He actually makes him a real person. Um, is it? It almost seemed like uh, Woody Allen. He recognized, yes, I need to make these characters unlikable and not open mm-hmm. to the idea of Paris. And and I guess in that sense, it's like, well, who doesn't like Paris? Certain types of Americans. What kind of Americans are those? Republicans. Oh, and hey, there's this Tea Party thing going on. I'm going to bring up the Tea Party too because I don't like them. Uh-huh. I'm Woody Allen, and so it's. Uh, but it did seem like he was sort of going out of his way to touch on something because, like, well, I don't have any other way to talk about these people, so I guess I'll do it here. And just like, oh, but that's Although that's I, you. That's if, not... If I'm being devil's advocate here, with the Michael Sheen character, he is just as mean to defeat liberals. That's tr- That's. But you know what? That It makes sense that that character would be in that place. Right. And 
also that character is written beautifully because that's the kind of person Woody Allen has been talking to for the last 30 no, years no question about it <laughs> especially because I love the, the this bit of writing is why Woody Allen is a good writer uh-huh. can be a good writer right. is he has a character constantly say if I'm not mistaken with total confidence that he is not mistaken <laughs> yeah you know what I mean and then when, it, when the time comes and someone says oh I'm sorry you are mistaken no, I'm not. You know, it's just it's it's a really good performance too uh, oh, yeah, with that character. Uh, okay, real quick, of course, this he sort was of when goes, I knew I liked the movie because the first like ten minutes or so of Midnight in Paris, I was not enjoying myself. Yeah, and then like suddenly he came on and he was like hilarious all over the place, and it just like breathed life into the yeah. movie. And pretty much from that point on, I was enjoying it. And I wasn't really that into Owen Wilson until he started reacting to him mm-hmm. and that whole thing about Rodan. And it's like, well, I don't know. I read this biography of Rodin, and I'm pretty sure this. And then uh, then they walk away, and then Rachel McCann's like, when did you read a biography of Rodin? And then, as if he forgot that he made it up, he's like, why would I do that? <laughs> it just, it's it, There is a lot of good in that movie. Yeah. Um, so, no wonder it's Woody Allen's highest grossing movie of all time. Weird, right? Yeah. I don't know if that... I mean, adjusted for inflation, that's probably not true. Yeah. Annie Hall probably, probably made a lot probably, of money. Probably, yeah. Anyway. But interesting. It, it's 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 kind of neat that he as a filmmaker is still making yeah. making money. It's not like it was a box office smash or anything, but uh, kind of exciting that that his best days aren't long behind him. Mm-hmm. That he still is churning out good stuff, and people still want to see it. Given, uh, I'm just guessing, but I'll bet given the budget mm-hmm. versus the box office, it probably could be considered a smash. Yeah, it's that's probably true. made its budget many many times over at this point because yeah. it's made over fifty million dollars. That's, that is a that is a good movie. Like, regardless of what I've said right now, like that is an immensely watchable movie, and mm-hmm. I think probably rewatchable. Like, I think oh, that yeah, mo- I want to see it again. I may wind up buying that one, even though I'm not passionately in love with it. Yeah. It's such. It's just I don't know. You know who's an actor that a lot of people like? Okay, that I don't like as much. Because I think he, in a Kevin Spacey way, tends to play things up, but is great in Midnight in Paris in his one scene, is Adrian Brody. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, sometimes I, he clearly wants to be the sort of, like, uh, eccentrically good-looking, like, mm. you know, heartthrob. Like, he clearly wants to cut a figure and, like... Right. I, I feel like he's a vain actor a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe just maybe it's just the fact that he I won't spoil who he plays in the movie because I don't know if people know that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, but um, maybe the fact that he gets to dress up already as the character means he just like put that part of his vain part aside. Yeah, and it was just goofy, and it was great. Yeah, he uh, he does seem to be a, a, for the most part like a game actor. Like he's he's up for things. If he just gets, yeah, you will not like him in Predators when you see Predators, which I have to assume will be before you see the King's Speech. Yeah. So, He's preening. Would you go that far? Yeah, I yeah, think okay. a lot of times you, and sometimes it works, like in Liberty Heights, mm. it, it works. Yeah. You know, but uh, there are parts of, I know a lot of people like it, and I like the movie overall, but there are parts of The Pianist where I feel like I can see the strings hmm. in his performance. Interesting. And I haven't seen it in a long time, and I actually own it, but I, I haven't seen it in a while, so uh, I don't think I can't I'll ever watch it that. again. It's not an easy film to watch. It's, yeah, it's very difficult to watch. Uh, okay, so real quick, I will bring up. Um, so this sort of goes without saying. Uh, the film Crash, and I should have mentioned earlier that, of course, uh, in Casino Royale. 
Paul Haggis is listed as one of the writers. <laughs> and my guess is that whole Texas Hold'em thing is his. <laughs> so, I, now I like Crash for the most part. Really? Uh, I think it's edited, I think it's put together well. I think uh, a lot of the performances are good. Even, even the, I don't know, if you look at it as, I don't like to say fable, but like if you look at it as like each character represents one thing. And that's the thing that they are. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it like that, and that in some cases those, the characters are that one thing, but they're trying desperately not to be, I, I sort of like that. And in that sense, I really like a lot of the performances. Um, I, I, I don't stand by the script, certainly. Um, and that's, that's the stuff that I have the biggest right. problem with. And uh, that, that opening scene... I don't know if it's opening, but it's one of the first scenes with uh, uh, Ludacris and uh, it's it was Ludacris, right? Yeah, it's, I haven't seen it in a while. Lawrence Tate Lawrence, is the other Lawrence one. And Lawrence Tate, yeah. And uh, where they're talking about, you know, and there's you know there are a couple of black guys, but they're dre- you know they're dressed well and they're walking kind of a well-to-do right. neighborhood, and and uh, they make some some white folks uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and then they kind of start uh, getting philosophical about. Uh, why people see them as threatening just because they're black and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's it's a little clever and a little on the nose, and that's all well and good. And then it turns, I would say, almost offensive. I don't know. Do you think that might be too much of a thing where they talk about, like, you know, it's like, if anything, it's like, we're a couple black people in, like, a nice neighborhood. Like, we should be the ones that are afraid. Why aren't we afraid? And then the other person's like, maybe because we're carrying guns. And it's like, <laughs> Yeah. And then they take the guns out and go and, like, rob somebody. And so <laughs> that's the kind of thing that it is sort of – it's clever and it's a funny little scene on its own. Mm-hmm. But in a film that ha- that takes itself very seriously, by the way, and has a lot of things that it wants to say, in that moment, it, it, it felt like that moment in the King's speech. It felt like that was for you. The, the writer every like I remember I think there was one review that talked about that moment and said like you could even hear the clacking of the keys uh-huh. as Paul Haggis was like oh yeah here we go <laughs> um, and uh, yeah like I see the strings in that moment quite a bit I forgot to, I, there's a movie I wanted to bring up earlier that also you can feel it being written all over the place but the movie is so thorough because it was re- directed by the writer maybe in its embrace of that tone that it completely works uh, for me is the fabulous Baker Boys, which mm. I know we talked about recently. You haven't seen. I haven't right? seen. Uh, it's so full of this sort of like smoky, late night, boozy, piano playing, jazzy, like rainy streets, uh, Tom Waitsian type of feel. Yeah. That even though the characters are all, all like in this purple prose, speechifying to each other the whole movie, yeah. you don't care. It's great. It's all part of the tone. It works there. Okay. Yeah, it's, you know, I feel like if you stylize something a little bit, that really, it doesn't solve a lot of these problems. Mm-hmm. But if if something is already kind of self-conscious, then see, you're sort of meant to see the strings the whole time. Mm-hmm. Something like a Dick Tracy or a, you know, Sky Captain or something like that. When was the last time you watched Dick Tracy? Fairly recently. Really? Yeah. Because I haven't watched it since I was a kid, and I, of course, because of that, mm. have great memories of it. But everyone tells me it's terrible. Who are these ever? Who's this everyone? Everyone else I know besides you. <laughs> Those people are wrong. It uh, has a really bad reputation. It shouldn't. 
it's there are moments like first off like of course visually it's uh, my hope is that those people still say that it's visually beautiful i don't know i don't get that far what, there's some w- wonderful art direction wonderful makeup wonderful cinematography uh warren Beatty is a bit bland as as dick tracy mm-hmm. but there's some really great music uh, maybe a few, maybe one, two, one or two too many songs by Madonna, but she sells them very well. Uh, great performances by like pretty much all the villains, and a commitment to what the old comic strip was, specifically when it comes to violence. Uh, in that, in the in that old comic strip, all the villains die. <laughs> it's a good thing that Chester Chester Gould, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> was had such a good imagination with like okay what kind of horrible deformity can i uh foist upon this person uh-huh. and make them a villain it's a good thing that he just never ran out of those because he always killed his villains <laughs> and pretty terribly too it's like oh prune face he freezes to death that's no that's no short-term thing that's no fast <laughs> death and so um and so in dick tracy like all of the villains die and it's pretty horrific but uh I don't know. There's a there's a lot of good in that movie. I stand by it. I really want to watch it again now. Give it a watch. It's it's good stuff. I, I like it. It's it isn't perfect. Of Is it course. on Blu-ray yet? I don't know, but it's it's a movie that would look great on Blu-ray. It's, yeah, it's I'll say hard. that. Uh, okay, a couple other things real quick. Um, and some of these I'm I'm sort of uh, cribbing from from other people. Uh, as good as it gets. Okay. I'm not sure if I totally agree with this, but I can see where he's coming from. Uh, to to go back to Ebert and. Uh, I think I did. I think I talked about this in the comments uh, of one of our episodes. Somebody mentioned that uh, that we don't talk about a lot of critics aside from uh, Roger Ebert and a, and a couple others. Uh, we do read other critics, uh, but Ebert is pretty good at not to imply that they're bad writers, but he's pretty good at turning a phrase and summing things up. And he's somebody that a lot of people have heard of, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and there's a, like. There are other critics that I read who are more like. Here's the thing, mm. I maybe I talk about Ebert more because I think of him as a former critic. Oh yeah, because I don't read any of his new stuff, so I don't feel like. Um. I, I don't feel like my opinions are going to overlap. Mm-hmm. Whereas other critics that I read, sometimes I'll go out of my way to not mention them because I'm a. I don't want to be accused of cribbing their ideas oh, yeah. if that makes okay. sense i could see that so yeah all right i, I, I mean since I, by I, that in the time that i've lived in los angeles ellie weekly has had two um film editors mm-hmm. uh scott foundus first um who's now in new york running the new york film festival and now karina longworth and i think they're both fantastic and mm-hmm. are so in both of them so very much in line with uh, how I feel about movies that I'm afraid of being <laughs> accused of ripping them off. Well, I do know uh, right off the top of my head, I do know that uh, you and uh, and myself and uh, old Karina there, mm-hmm. very different views on the film uh, entrance. So, oh, we liked it and she didn't. Right. Oh, okay. So, but she loved um, uh, the future. The new Miranda July movie, okay. which I also loved. A lot of people like that, though. I don't think anybody would... would uh... Maybe it's just the hipsters I know mm-hmm. who are like intentionally distancing themselves from it because they feel like it's something that they're supposed to like. Does what that make sense to you? These you... people you know that aren't me. Do you who... hear what I'm saying? Like, Oh, yeah. Like It seems like 
this seems like it's made for me, so I can't like it. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. It's too the, uh, easy. It goes back to that phrase that I always used to use, hipper than hip. Okay. It's hip to like the future. It's hipper than hip to not like the future. Right. So, and I say that knowing full well that I may wind up not liking the future because I wasn't a huge fan of uh, me and you and everyone we know. Uh, anyway, so I, I referenced Ebert because uh, in his review of As Good As It Gets, he actually mentions that the ending of the film, which has Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt's characters uh, getting together, you don't know what their relationship's going to be. It could wind up being over in a month. Um, but he said that it just didn't seem right for those characters. Like, they, that they would, it seems like they could be friends and that they could to- not even tolerate each other, but come to actually accept each other and their, their, their foibles. But the idea of a romance happening out of that relationship seemed very unlikely and it see and the way he described it was it's like the film was dragging these two characters kicking and screaming <laughs> towards a romantic plot uh-huh. and uh and having watched it uh somewhat recently i could kind of see what he's talking about with that um it does seem like these are two characters who come to respect each other and maybe they even play with the idea of a romance but they realize it probably wouldn't work but that doesn't mean they can't get something that they can't gain something from befriending each other. I feel like that's the natural ending. But for it to end with something romantic seems, I don't know, a little uh, fake to me. What do you think? Here's what I think about it, as good as it gets. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, this is changing the subject because, I no, I agree with you. But I wanted to say this other thing. Uh, that also it, <laughs> it kind of ties in because it feels very movie-ish but also I just think about because you said you watched it recently I hadn't seen it in a decade maybe and I remember hearing about the way that they made the dog not step on the cracks yeah is like they they put little like barricades there that they removed in post that he mm-hmm. would have to step over I remember when I first heard that at the time when I saw the movie I was like oh that's so cool movie magic and I think about it it's like that's so stupid <laughs> just the idea of the dog not stepping on the cracks is so movie-ish yeah that just occurred to me you saying that you had seen it recently made me think oh, I haven't seen it in a while oh that was really stupid and I haven't even thought I didn't even think about that and maybe I'm not a dog person but it's like would dogs emulate that kind of thing I don't know I don't think they would I don't think a dog would notice that you're yeah. not stepping on the like does does a dog have the cognitive ability to, to like notice like oh look at where he steps the dogs are colorblind they might not even be seeing the same thing as as we are well I think they still distinguish uh, there's a crack there and he's not, I don't know no. I don't know but you know what and here's the thing that never actually occurred to me as like until right now mm-hmm. that never occurred to me as something that should bother me and I think it should um, partially because of nicholson's performance and how he reacts to it he's like so genuinely surprised uh-huh. you know but then that leads to another moment that we're talking about where he uh puts the little gloves on his hands and he picks up the dog and he's like don't don't you be like me and it's a nice it's a cute little yeah, moment but then it cuts to these two women that we've never seen walking by and be like i wish a man would treat me like that and it's like oh that's gross yeah and it's just and it's like who are these women and why do i give a shit um man another thing about it as good as it gets that i'm just thinking of like i don't think i like this movie as much as i thought i did like um i used to think again 10 years ago the ocd guy and the gay guy go out of town together and the gay guy opens his his suitcase and the OCD guy goes oh nice packing job mm-hmm. oh what a groaner I thought that was so clever at the time 
That is a groaner of a joke. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think what I think of it. I think it. I think it. Uh, well, and this, and you know what? This actually might go more towards like the theme of these characters starting to get along. Is that the OCD character doesn't doesn't really like the gay character, but he actually has found actually at least one thing that he can admire about him, which is that's nice packing. But I feel like it almost goes against the things the movie are is about with those two characters. In that, um, Nicholson's character is often like just resorting to cheap gay stereotype jokes with yeah. him, and Craig Kinnear's character is so much more than that. He's a whole person. Yeah. But then in this one moment, the the it's it's not great. It's not Jack Nicholson. It's the movie saying like, yeah, gay guys are all fastidious and neat. Yeah, and, and, and that now that you me. think about it, like that character. While while he is gay and there is a certain stereotype with that, he is also an artist. Artists are not usually known to be <laughs> I'm, that to go with another stereotype. Why not embrace that stereotype? Right, right. I mean, wouldn't it wouldn't it have also been kind of interesting if uh, if Greg Kinnear's character his suitca- suitcase is packed terribly, right? And then the OCD, you know, the straight guy is talking to the gay guy and being like. Man, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, see, I like that's the a, I, I like a little the bit more. Under, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the, a movie like that, there's a lot of a lot of little moments uh, that sort of be like where you're like, oh, okay, I can see the mechanism be, behind this. Um, and then one last one that I don't know. Uh, okay, two more. One is uh, we've talked about American Beauty in the past. Uh, we even talked about it on this episode. I'm talking about Kevin Spacey. Uh, just. So, Chris Cooper's character played very well. I, I like Chris Cooper as an actor quite a bit. Um, but it's like... I don't know. Everything about the movie and, and about that the script in general, but his character in particular, it all just seems so... I don't know. It just... It, you can see the writer behind it. Like this guy who hates gay people and is a military man. And what movie does he not? What movie is he watching? He's watching a movie with Ronald Reagan in it. And he's, and he, and a joke is made that is a cheesy joke, but he laughs out loud. at it cause he, Oh, cause he doesn't understand modern things and just, and just everything about his character is so, if you looked at the character on the page, it surprised me. No one was like, Really? This is this guy wishes he was two dimensional, um, and if, and again, it is the power of Chris Cooper as an actor that really makes that character something. Um, and then to have all of that, and it turns out that it was all cover. That's it's it's much more cliche now than it was then for that to be the case. I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but uh, you know, a thing that came up. Two weeks ago, we talked about offensive versus shocking. We were talking about John Waters and like even the most awful characters ever created. We talked about how John Waters loves his characters. Mm-hmm. I feel with that. With that, I feel like Alan Ball doesn't like that character. And no, he doesn't. I don't. Th- yeah, I think it's clear I, the characters he likes and doesn't like. Yeah, and I, I think it's hard when you're making a movie to make a good movie if you don't like the characters. I agree. Uh, even when they're bad people, I think you have to. Even when they're the worst people, even when they're uh, um, um, Ted Levine in Silence of the Lambs, yeah. you have to be able to care about them enough. Yeah, yeah. maybe the like isn't the right word. 
But you don't have to like them. Yeah. But you have to care about them. Right. Enough to make them human. Yeah, sympa- the, sympathy is not the same as, as liking them. Right. You sometimes having sympathy for the character is wishing that they would stop doing what they're doing or that they would change. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and with, with, uh, and, and it seemed like Alan Ball with, uh, with, uh, Chris Cooper's character, he just kept layering on things that he didn't like about him. Yeah. Or thing, things that it's like, Oh, as if he wasn't bad enough. Now there's this. Oh, and now there's this. Oh, and it turns out he's like this. Oh, but he'll do this terrible thing to cover for it. It mm-hmm. just to the, and, and, Chris Cooper's doing what he can, but by the end of it, it's like this character is only a device, either a, a device to move the plot along or a device to get us thinking one thing that is an incredibly, sim- I think, kind of a simple-minded mm-hmm. attitude. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, you look at that versus something like, and I know you haven't seen it, but I, I recently saw Red State. Mm-hmm. And you look at the character that uh, Michael Parks plays in that, and that character's written with he's written with a fair amount of nuance but he's but he's played so so well and that Kevin uh, Kevin Smith was willing to have a character who is saying incredibly hateful things is allowing him to be sort of alluring in the way that he approaches people mm-hmm. and that he seems almost sympathetic i don't know that's that seems like such a, a much more interesting and nuanced and complex way than the way that uh, the characters approached in American Beauty. Well, should we end with uh, praising Kevin Smith? Or is there more you want to talk about? Well, <laughs> I did talk. I did sort of tease this earlier, and I don't know if I've ever actually talked about it on the show. I talked about it on uh, our friend. Uh, Damn it! Now I can't remember Dave. Good friend of ours, Dave Amiot. Yeah, I remember Dave, and I was like, "What is the last name on that?" Uh, Dave Amiot. His his uh, his podcast, the, the Benny, Benny South, South Street, Street Chronicles. South Street Chronicles. Um, you and I are both a guest on there separately. Separately, yeah. And uh, and he and I share similar views of Heath Ledger's Joker. Uh, I realize that I am in the minority on this one, um, and I still enjoy uh, his performance as the Joker. But that is a performance where I see the strings. I see now. People have argued, and I can absolutely see this argument, that the strings are the Jokers, not Heath Ledger's. The Joker himself, who is, I mean, he's a guy who puts makeup on mm-hmm. and dresses a very specific way. He is always performing for maximum fear. So I understand that, and, and I'm, I think I'm almost willing to say, okay, that's what it is. No problem. Uh, but it's little things like the little tongue thing that he does. You know what I mean? Where he just sort of like really quickly like, you know, licks his, his mouth. But see, that seems so character-based for me because he's not just licking his mouth. He's touching his scars with his tongue. He's running it over his, his whole mouth. Scar yeah. has a feel and a taste to it that's different. Like, it's delicious. Just, no, I don't mean that. But okay. I mean like as gross it is, as it is, that's one of my favorite things about the performance that he does that. I like it except I see the, I see the actor saying, I will now lick my scars. I don't. I, I don't know. It's, I, I disagree with that. And I see the choices that he makes with his voice when he chooses to keep it high and then go low. Like I, everything he does, I see as a function of choice. And in my and this also goes, by the way, to my view of what the Joker should be as a character. So there is a lot. A lot of it is what I bring to it. But what I just think of the going high and going low thing. And what if Jay Leno played the Joker? <laughs> Oh, 
How monstrous. So, um, even the Joker I wish has I could limits. Do a, I, could, I, could, yeah. I can apparently I can do a Gimli. I can't do a Jay Leno. Oh, everyone can do a Jay Leno. It's just not. How does, a good how does one. it go? You don't have to actually say anything. <laughs> just, yeah. Tonight, uh, people are going to die. I'm a man of my word. <laughs> Why so serious? I would tell you about that scar. Oh, right, we are is, a couple of idiots. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, and so, so the way I see the Joker is that he's a character of almost pure instinct. Now, being inst- being pure instinct doesn't mean that you're not intellectual and philosophical. But he seems like it's just it. Everything just flows naturally out of him and he does he never stops himself that's what separates him from other people is that the stuff that and that's and that's sort of his philosophy as well in the film is where we all choose to stop he just keeps going mm-hmm. and so that's a character with no inhibitions and so the fact that i see everything that he does as a conscious choice i don't know it seems it seems antithetical and, to what I, I think of as the joker i don't know how much i don't know if this argument even holds water but um to a certain extent, I, I, t- I take into account the fact that the Joker in that movie is a symbol. More, you know. I mean, I, I feel like Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. Yeah, is that the? Yeah, they're telling a parable, an allegory about about um, the American response to the to the threat of terror, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, you know, Batman and, and 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 Bruce Wayne get to be a character because what they represent is actual mm. people, and he gets to he has to make his decisions from a human standpoint. Yeah. Whereas the thing that the Joker represents is, as far as we're concerned, just monolithic and nameless and threatening. Yeah. And so, I guess it doesn't bother me as much because, to me, all my all the character stuff falls to Christian Bale and Morgan Freeman in that movie. And, you know, that actually can bring up something else. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. is, Again, I do enjoy Heath Ledger's performance, um, and I think it's a very good one, but I do still see he, him as an actor, like, intellectualizing things. But that out, And I talked about this a long time ago uh, when the film first came out, that uh, growly Batman kind of bothers me. Uh-huh. Here's why. He doesn't talk like that when he's Bruce Wayne. That's well, not his natural voice. Yeah. Which means, and I want to see this scene of Bruce Wayne looking at himself in the mirror and practicing the voices. <laughs> Just being like, okay, how about this? No, that's not quite enough. How about this? No, that's not quite, no, that's a little too much. <laughs> and just like, you know, because that's, that is, because, and that's the thing. Joel Schumacher's films, as ridiculous as they were, uh, I wrote a paper about this in college, is the, uh-huh. the, the German expressionism inherent in Batman films, is that, like, you don't, you never ask, who built the Riddler's lair, and did he kill them right afterwards? And uh-huh. be like, yeah, you're not talking. Uh, this, because I have to assume, no matter how dumb the contractor might be, it's like, there's a lot of question marks here, Mr. Nigma. <laughs> um, and so, but you know, you never ask that, because it's so stylistic that the moment the Riddler exists, his lair exists. Right. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nolan's films are based in our, in pretty much our reality. So when Batman is doing a voice, 
part of me is like, hey, I realize you have to talk a little different, but like, you're really like now the, this character's really performing. But you have hit exactly on the reason that I think Christopher Nolan's Batman films are good and not great. Okay, is because they 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 base it so much in reality that yeah, the, in a, in a way they want to have the cake and eat it too. It's like the movie Up. Uh-huh. Which yeah. cr- which the first 15 minutes are so grounded in reality that when the balloons I like up, don't get me wrong. Yeah. That when the balloons take the house I'll be like, "What the f- Oh, right. Okay, I forgot what it's I was like, watching." It's like, that's like the moment in the TV show where you realize like, "Oh, this is a dream sequence because something happened." <laughs> it's like, it's not a dream sequence. It's, it keeps happening yeah. the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's and and yeah, I, I know that the Dark Knight, like my opinion, is very much in the in the minority. But uh, I always had a yeah. difficult time getting on board with with his uh, performance uh, uh, after maybe the second time I saw it. The reason I think that um, the best, am I going to go ahead and uh, yeah, okay, best superhero movie ever made is Spider Man Two, and I think it's because Sam Raimi isn't afraid to make a comic book movie. That's true. It, you know, whereas Christopher Nolan, I think. As much as comic book fans like his Batman, I think he's maybe a little bit even disrespectful of Batman's source material. I wouldn't go that far because Batman has had so much source material. Right. Okay. He, he's just drawing from a different, you know, a different one, which could be like the Alan, uh, the the Killing Joke kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think he's just choosing which one he wants to go with, and so I don't, I don't say he's being disrespectful. And by the way, I don't hate The Dark Knight. I think it's the third best comic book we ever made. What's number two? X two. Damn right. Um, I actually might like X two more, and I do, and I, I know that I, you and I maybe differ on this a little bit, but I do love Iron Man. I really am a big fan of that. Yeah, I like um, it, but I don't. And like the it. first Superman's pretty solid. The first Superman is great. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That is a good one. Um, but but I yeah, guess- I, Iron Man, I put in the same category as the first Sam Raimi Spider Man movie. Mm-hmm. Is like this is mostly good, but and not- you haven't seen the second one, right? The second Iron Man. Yeah. No. Oh. I heard it went the other direction, whereas Spider-Man got better in the second one. Everyone tells me Iron Man 2 is worse than Iron Man. <laughs> now, that's the note I do want to end on. <laughs> all right. So, um, so all right. Uh, you can find us, as always, at BattleshipRetention.com or on iTunes. You can email us, David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash ThePretension or follow Tyler on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MoreLessons, which is the official Twitter feed of his Sorry, of Tyler's other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com, co-host Josh Long. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show previously on, co-host Sean Ingram, at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. All right. So, I'm sorry. I was checking my phone during that, and I yeah. forgot that I have lines at the end. So, so you right. check your phone. Here's the thing. I'll send you a text or an email and not get a response back for hours. But you can't make it through one of our episodes without checking, checking your phone? No. <laughs> First off, you send me like texts and stuff, and then I'm not awake for hours. That's right. I do tend to text you at 9 or 10 in the morning. Yeah. That's I my wake normal up at time. 2 in the afternoon. Yeah. All right? Nine, Don't hold uh, me accountable for things where, during which I'm unconscious. 9 to 10, that's TCB time for me. <laughs> Which means yeah, take the yogurt place. No, no, that's TCBY. Oh, okay. Because don't tell my boss. I get to work (laughs) the first hour. I know I'll answer emails, but I also answer my personal emails (laughs) and take care of some stuff. And I have my coffee and my yogurt at the same time. Uh, Yogurt first, then coffee um, with a water palate cleanser in between. Mm -hmm. 
That's me. And then I, I ease into my job, and then I, I work like a dog from 10 to 6. I, uh, I TCB at about 3 a.m., <laughs> uh, which is a problem. Uh, I post like more than one lesson. I post episodes at like 3 a.m. And then I'm mystified why people don't see them. It's just <laughs> like I'll put them on Twitter. By the time regular people wake up, it has been buried hours before. Right. And then they're like, hey, when's a new episode coming up? Yeah. Oh, right. I'm an idiot. Because <laughs> they're scrolling through all their British friends talking about football scores or whatever. <laughs> it goes on in the middle of the night on Twitter. <laughs> and they miss your thing. Um, but yes. Yeah, so... Uh, so I it, it's uh, I apologize that I was looking at my phone. So uh, so yeah, I'll I, I want to try. I, I'm I'm thinking of doing doing my my exit line a certain way. So let's let's give this a try. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. We'll get to next time. Bye.